later. Welcome to another episode of Drinking and Screaming, a new podcast we're doing about horror movies and cocktails. Today, we're talking about the classic film, Rosemary's Baby. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So it's laced with witchcraft, roots, and rosemary, of course. And I didn't make this one. Kelly made it. Yeah, I had a different thing I was going to say for that section. You got you to gotta give your description later. I t- no, I mean, the, 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 it matches the theme and moods of the movie. So it's sweet with something sinister inside. <laughs> Which I delivered like Chandler. Mm. Rosemary, a friend for the drink we have. Ah, the the advertising episode. Yeah, I exactly. Got it. I was like, "What could you be any more not Chandler? Could it have any more babies inside of it?" <laughs> la, la. I like how all the drinks that I'm making involve putting something that somebody doesn't normally want in the drink into the drink. That's true. Yeah. I did the midsummer one where I put some period blood in it. Yep. And then this one, which has something I didn't want in it. <laughs> Anise. Yeah. So why don't you try it first and then I'll tell the lovely listeners what is in this con- yes. con- concoction. Oh, I should have slurped that just a bit louder and then probably they could have heard it. <laughs> But uh, first, I love that it's in um, a lovely little champagne flute. This might be a little bit meta in this audio format, but every single one of the drinks we've made so far has been delivered in a different glass. Yeah. Don't expect that for much longer, though. I think this might be the last one. Unless we do, like, very short glasses. Or, like, a coffee. Yeah. Or just make a shot. True. This one is served in a water bottle. But I like this. You have made this drink just for me, it seems, because it's sour. Yeah. I love the cranberry flavor in it. And I also, I did help with this one because I got to make the simple syrup or Mm -hmm. part of them. We tried two different kinds. I definitely didn't use the simple syrup that I made. made. Yeah. So we can pretend that whatever. So this is a take on a, I believe it was called a cranberry sparkling wine cocktail. So very creative a name. For a drink. It was very descriptive. It was literally what was in it. So this one has vodka, cranberry juice, cranberry and orange kombucha cordial. Is that different than kombucha, the like moldy mushroom water? So this is uh, made with Mad Labs kombucha cordial. So it is kombucha, like okay. the fermented kombucha that you normally would assume but it's a cordial so it's the kombucha is a flavor in it's it it's very cordial it's <laughs> yes. very polite and austere indeed um, and then it's also got a simple syrup in it that was going to just be rosemary simple syrup but i figured to fit with the the tannis root that's in rosemary's baby i looked it up tannis root isn't a thing it's fake it's just a made up moldy spongy it's like a horcrux. Basically. So I was like, oh, I'll put anise root in it. But anise root itself is very boring to look at. So I put anise stars in it. What's the difference? I don't know. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I imagine it's like, <laughs> I don't know, the same way that with like weed, you smoke the bud, not the stem, maybe? Oh, yeah, that could Question be Question mark. I, I like how the metaphor I used was nothing within my wheelhouse. <laughs> and then it's got... Uh, Prosecco in it. which Some sparkling vin. Yeah. I didn't nice. know what Prosecco was. I thought it was soda water until I went to go buy it. And then you're like, oh, man. I'm real fucking classy. <laughs> I, know all, I know all the words for all the things. It definitely feels like a holiday drink. Mm-hmm. Like a Christmas party. I could imagine like giving these out to guests as they arrive. The recipe that I found and the one that will show up in the the lovely menu that you're making for everybody mm-hmm. is ag- if you're a patron. Yes, we actually called it the coven serving because it suggests making a larger batch of everything except for the prosecco, and then when you pour it, you pour half of the glass of the concoction, and then you put the prosecco in, and then you garnish with. Cranberries, rosemary, and an anise seed. Nice. Or an anise star. 
But I took my Anastar out because I couldn't handle smelling it. I like it because when we were tasting it before, when we were making sure it was perfect, I'm still sick. So my taste buds aren't as um, active, I'll say, as they usually are. Mm-hmm. They're working at half capacity. But having the smell and the taste, I think I get the like normal level now and it's good. Yeah, normally I'm super opposed to anise whenever we go get cocktails and you order something with it. Usually it's like a very strong ingredient in the drink. Yeah. But I think since it's first steeped into the simple syrup and then I only used like two teaspoons between both of our drinks. So the rosemary and the anise, I think, combine very well into something that's almost palatable for me. And the cranberry is so strong that that'll help you out too. So the tartness of the cranberry kind of softens the flavor of the anise so it actually kind of comes out kind of candy like yeah and i love the the fact that the sparkling wine gets added in at the end it's so fresh and like you can really feel the bubbles as you're drinking it i just love anything that's carbonated it's Mm -hmm. so good i think the first sip i took filled up my cheeks like quite a bit oh yeah with the bubbles so it hit me hard but yeah i think you're right it kind of tastes like a decoration that you would have for christmas yeah Hmm. Plus, the idea of having it half the glass is the cocktail concoction, and then you top it up. It's so good for parties because you can have it like laid out and ready, and then as soon as a new guest arrives or you want to make another one, just pour the Prosecco on top. Yeah, and it makes it so that as you're pouring it, the bubbles don't like settle too much in the, in the drink. Yeah. Probably the fanciest drink I've ever made. For sure. And pre- pre- like required the most preamble with making the simple syrup. Yeah. I'm proud of myself. I like it. Good work, friend. And I found something that I can drink with anise in it and not immediately just want to toss it across the room. Yeah. The color is so vibrant, too. It matches the actual color of the cordial from Mad Labs. Mm-hmm. It works out well. I wasn't sure if I if the kombucha flavor would like really overpower. I mean, I've never had kombucha, so I'm like a bit worried about it. I was worried about it. Well, it called for triple sec, which I think think is pretty strong i've never actually had triple sec either but it's an orange liqueur though yeah so the fact that i went with the cranberry orange fits well within the the theming of it yeah nice and and it does add like i was mostly going for something that felt like rosemary who's very like upbeat and cheery as a person herself yeah yeah but then the scent of the anise and like that flavor is the the sort of like witchcraft that's being pushed on her So I think thematically it worked out pretty well. For sure. Hey, it's Kelly here. I just wanted to give a content warning to let people know that during this episode, we do discuss topics such as sexual assault, gaslighting, and general shittiness to women. So if you are bothered by that, or if you just like having some warning ahead of time, uh, that will be coming up but I hope you still enjoy the episode. So this week we watched Rosemary's Baby. Uh, It was released on June 12th, 1968, directed by Roman Polanski, who in my research... Very sad. Well, not sad. I'm very mad. He also is rumored to have raped a 13-year-old in slightly, not witchcraft regions, but similar sinister circumstances. Mm, And of course, he's like, oh, she's a liar, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we should put a trigger warning because there's also another story that you told me that's going to come up eventually. But also the movie itself has rape. It's about rape. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, go on. Wayfish Rosemary Woodhouse and her struggling actor husband, Guy, moved to a New York City apartment building with an ominous reputation and odd neighbors. When Rosemary becomes pregnant, she becomes increasingly isolated, and the diabolical truth is revealed only after Rosemary gives birth. Play me that trailer, yo. Also, I like while you're drinking this drink that your nose gets shoved into the glass and you're forced to smell like the cranberry rosemary anise. Yeah, that's scent. all. It's real good. had rather an unpleasant reputation around the turn of the century. Awful things happen in every apartment house. She seems so happy and full of... She said wonderful things about you and your husband. This for you, for Roman and me. I'm so afraid baby's gonna die. Those babies 
a warning that something isn't right. There are plots against people, aren't there? Well, there's one against me and my baby. Did you say anything more about witches or witchcraft when we first to take into a mental hospital? I haven't slipped up that that was a bad trailer. That was a terrible trailer. Once again, an old trailer that literally just shows you the entirety of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it was like really spliced up, but still it was everything. Every major scene except for some of the reveals at the end. But beyond that, you know exactly what the entire movie is going to be. Why even bother going anymore? Maybe people in the past didn't like being surprised by things. So they liked to be get an overview of the movie in its entirety before going to watch it. Mm. Now I've found that I'm almost like ignoring trailers. If I'm at the movies and I'm watching trailers, I do get excited for the films coming up. But if a friend tells me about something or whatever and that's coming out in the movie theater, I won't go actively seeking out information because then you get yeah. more of a surprise. Yeah, I think there's often times where it's like on, I'm on the fence where I'm like, I don't know if I want to see this movie or not, which mm. doesn't lead me to watch the trailers. More often than not, it leads me to wait until it's on Netflix. That's fair because then you don't have to. It's less of a commitment. Yeah. And now it's like if I know that a movie's coming out, I know I want to go see it, so I don't need a trailer to tell me to go see it. Yeah. I'm sure some people aren't like that, but I don't really understand what trailers are for anymore. But something that really stuck out to me for Rosemary's Baby was, I commented on it, we just watched it right before recording, Um, me for the second time. You've seen it? I've seen it a few times now. The opening like conversations between Guy and Rosemary, they're talking to the person that's showing them the apartment, and he asks like what are you a lawyer or something and he's like oh yeah he just he's <laughs> lies and then rosemary's like he's an actor and he, oh have i been in anything you've seen no oh he's done da la 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 and she's so proud yeah she's so proud and it just makes me think because i'm an actor and i'm a struggling actor i would say i have to have other jobs at the moment and whenever we're with friends or like meeting new people at parties and stuff i mentioned like oh i'm an actor but mostly i do other stuff and then you and always like, oh she's been in this and this she's she's grand yes grand 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 so such a great actress Snowpiercer. i don't know why i did irish there <laughs> ach, ach my my dear Brian, she's such a great actress. Oof, Jamie. <laughs> this is not an Outlander podcast. Damn it. That's a different podcast. That's my next idea. Yeah. <laughs> we drink Irish beers and talk about, um, are Scottish? What are they? They're Scottish. Yeah, Scottish beers and talk about Outlander. Yeah. I definitely liked that because it's also funny that it's the 60s, so he doesn't really need another job. He gets like a commercial once in a while and then they can afford basically a mansion apartment. It's huge. It's such a big apartment. It's like bigger than my house in Montreal. Our apartment is a room in their apartment, basically. Like the whole floor... Maybe even more would be their apartment. Yeah. And it doesn't appear that she does anything. No. Typical stay at home wife. Yeah. So it's like he does a few commercials and they can afford to buy, I think, buy or rent an entire apartment like that. Yeah. The scene where they're actually moving into the apartment reminded me of Erin from The Office. Oh, yeah. Because she and Gabe and her or Gabe forces her to watch horror movies. And she's like, I love the beginnings of them because they're they're happy happy families. (laughs) We watched The Shining, Rosemary's Baby, (laughs) and then something else. They're just so happy in the beginning. Oh, man. It's true. Like, them painting the house and building everything and, like, she goes downstairs and meets a friend in the laundry room. If I, that kind of thing happened to me, I'd be friends with them. Yeah, exactly. And then literally after the scene with the friend in the laundry room... They find her dad on the street. So, like, that's the point when the entire happy family is dynamic over. is over. Yeah. That's when Eric Aaron switches over to Trek 2. <laughs> but when they were actually moving in, before they even get the movers to help them with their stuff, they just have the keys and they have a meal sitting on the floor of their apartment and they bang. They have, they have, they have the weirdest sex because he's like, we should make love. And she's like... Or no, she says we should, we should make, make love. love. Yeah, and then he's like, okay, and then he starts taking silently. Off his clothes. Yeah, silent strip there. What was that? No foreplay, no making out before they take off their clothes. Yeah, I was gonna say it was just like when we moved in, we did not have sex that day. Damn, we shoulda. But um, we, we did got, have donair. Yeah, donair. We ate on the floor. I I think of that memory very fondly. Yeah, it's it always nice. a, it's always a nice experience. 
I imagine moving in with a partner. This is the only time I've ever done it. So. Yeah, me too. And it's also the fir- it was the first time I had moved where because I moved to Vancouver and I didn't bring anything with me except like a suitcase of clothes. Mm-hmm. Stayed with a family friend, moved into another house on that street. Then I moved in with you. And you already had a furniture, so I didn't really have to bring anything either. Yeah. And then over the years of us being together, we've gotten rid of things, got new things. So everything now feels like it's our stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved in here, we got to we got to design everything. It was really fun. Yeah. And then that then all the happiness went downhill from there. Yeah, because he fucking trades his wife for success. Yeah. He's already they can afford that place. You said that like. There was no need for this at all. And the guy, the realtor tells Guy that all the money is in commercials. And he's like, oh, yeah, definitely. So he didn't really want the money, it seemed. He just wanted the fame of being a successful actor. Yeah. And being like, I guess I can uh, see the appeal of wanting better roles. Like, it's not about money. I feel that, too. Like, I'd love to be in Oscar Wilde's play or whatever. But... I would not trade my partner for it. <laughs> I can't empathize. I can't even imagine anybody that would do that. It's also interesting watching it this time, since it's your sec- second time, realizing that he like almost immediately turns on her. Like the second that they go over to the... The crazy neighbors. Yeah, the Castanevs or whatever. Con- Kentanevs, Cast... Whatever. Whatever. The moment that they go over to their house, like, Guy is talking to Roman in a different room. And, like, all hushed. And you just know that Roman's like, hey, I can make you a famous actor if you let me get your wife pregnant with Satan. Crazy. He doesn't even have, like, a few struggles in this home. No. He's immediately turned. And she's been, like, so kind. It's not that they were already in a rough marriage. Yeah. Their marriage was perfect. And they were then so he happy. threw a bomb in it. And his excuse at the end when she discovers everything is, oh, well, they promised they wouldn't hurt you. Yeah, you and would the, be fine. The whole movie, she's like, I'm in pain and like crying. Yeah. And like she gets raped. Yeah, it's the 60s. Ugh. The As long as the woman's alive, she's unharmed. And then that brings me to like the biggest thing I find watching this movie is it's so true seeing like she goes to several doctors or She goes to two different doctors, but both of them don't take her seriously at all. Yeah. All her pain is like, how do I say Psychosomatic. Yeah. They're they're shoving it under the rug. And that's something that takes place every day. Like as women, we never get taken seriously when we go to the doctor. You've seen how sick I've gotten. Thank God I'm not sick that sick right now. Yeah. But I've had to go to like the ER multiple times and they're always like, oh, it's fine. No, no, no. It's not fine. (laughs) I can't put it into good words, so I went and did some research, and I wanted to read a little snippet of a Harvard study for you. Nice. We're doing real research here. Hell yeah. We're legit. So this Harvard study came out in 2017, and it links to a bunch of other studies that they have done and other uh, accredited universities have done. So I'm going to post it on the, let's say the Facebook group, if you wanted to do some further reading. But here's a snippet just so you can get a little, little... pizzazz of this terrible tragedy. Just a little taste of the hell. Yeah. So consider this. Women in pain are much more likely than men to receive prescriptions for sedatives rather than pain medication for their ailments. One study even showed women who received coronary bypass surgery were only half as likely to be prescribed painkillers as compared to men who had undergone the same procedure. Women wait an average of 65 minutes before receiving an anaglastic for acute abdominal pain in the ER in the United States, while men wait only 49 minutes. So that's 15 15 extra minutes of excruciating pain just because we're a woman. Same description of symptoms, same everything. Meh, we'll make her wait. Whatever. Can't be that serious. Women can wait. These gender biases in our medical system can have serious and sometimes fatal repercussions. For instance, a 2000 study published in the New England Journal of Medicine found that women are seven times more likely than men to be misdiagnosed and discharged in the middle of having a fucking heart attack. Jeez. Why? Because the medical concepts of most diseases are based on understandings of male physiology. So women altogether have different symptoms than men when they're having a heart attack. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I didn't know that for the longest time, which is sad. But I found out that like women having heart attacks presents more like indigestion. Yeah, it's a, a very pain, upset stomach pain. Yeah. 
So there was like an episode of Grey's Anatomy where um, Dr. Bailey is like, I'm having a heart attack. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah. Which but, was in the woke season of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, so fits with all of this. Yep. But yeah. So um, read that article. If you don't believe me, there's way more stats and everything. Do some research. It's crazy. It blows my mind. So this movie is so topical. It's still cover. It's still applicable today in the way that women are treated about their pain. Yeah. Because the doctor just keeps saying it'll. I mean, it's also because the doctor was a Satanist and was just trying to convince her that this was fine because yeah. the, a literal demon was growing in her belly. But even at the end, when she goes to see Dr. I want to Dr. Say, Hill? Yeah, I was going to like, Dr. Tim? Uh, when she sees Dr. Till... <laughs> Dr. Till now. When she sees Dr. Till. This drink is really great. Thanks. Uh, when she sees Dr. Hill and she finally tells him over the phone, like, there's a plot against me, blah, blah, blah. And she gets there and she tells him the whole story face to face. And she brings all her readings that she's done and tells him about all the pain she's gone through and everything that's been shoved under the rug and pushed aside. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of you. What does he do? Calls her fucking husband and the other doctor. This bitch is crazy. Yeah, I was actually curious watching that back now. Like, I can't tell if Dr. Hill is like in leagues with Dr. Saperstein or is he just so. an asshole that's like, this This bitch be crazy and we're going to... I feel like at that point, because she's in such high stakes and she's been dealing with this on her own for so long, she does come off kind of hysterical. Yeah. She's in the know, but it, she, it reads... She's right, her, but yeah. yeah. And, but also just because of the whole stereotype with men versus women in hospitals and being taken seriously. Yeah. Dr. Hill says he's met Dr. Saperstein, which I feel like in the medical medical community means like, oh, I trust him. He's a good doctor. Yeah. He's definitely right. And you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And they do keep giving her sedatives like later on in the movie just to keep her sedated. So sad. That's another huge thing that I hate. My number one fear in life is, or like fear in watching horror movies, like what I don't want to see is home invasions. Then very closely related is stabbing, mm. which almost always happens in home invasion <laughs> movies. And then it's being injected with drugs that you do not want to be injected with. Yeah. Hate that. Hate it, hate it, hate it. Hate it. We'll talk about it probably at some point in the future, but I remember that you mentioned that specifically in like Jason goes to Ma Manhattan or whatever, or Jason yeah. takes Manhattan, and just like a random street thug injects the protagonist with drug. Yeah. And then I hated it came that. out of fucking nowhere. Oh, man. <laughs> so bad. Especially in like, we loved the Friday the 13th series. And like, I would, I wasn't expecting something like that. So weird. It's more of like, oh, this is a fun slasher movie. Ah! Injection. <laughs> no. I mean, everyone's afraid that like people on the street are just going to stab them with needles. Hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's really interesting. I like that. I like making that connection between modern research and like a movie in the 60s that probably didn't think of that stuff. Although the author of the book might have thought of it. It was written by a woman. Okay, then so maybe this was based on like her actual experiences with her own body. I'm pretty sure it was written by a woman, but maybe it's not. Well, so if it's not, then cut that out. <laughs> the fact that like Guy, I don't know. It's hard because like you want to project this as like real humans treating women shitty. But, like, Guy wasn't concerned about her pain, but then also he knew that Satan was in her. Yeah. So it's like he sh he was avoiding her a lot because he knew that what was growing inside of her wasn't explicitly his child and that he had made this horrible deal. Because when she first starts talking about the pain, he's and she's saying, oh, I'm seeing the doctor on Wednesday. He's like, no, go now. And yeah. that was like he was worried about her in that moment, which is interesting. I kind of forgot about it until you brought that up. But then Roman probably pulled him aside and be like, dude, this is going to hurt for a while. Yeah. Because the baby's growing hooves. It's going to be on fire a lot. <laughs> it's shooting acid tears. Oh, man. And then to be told every... I can't imagine that. I'm thankful that I don't have any, like, especially like invisible diseases or illnesses. Yeah. Other than my mysterious lungs that are shitty but to go to doctors over and over and like that much nine months of being in constant pain especially when you're you've all you've wanted is to have a baby mm -hmm. and so you're worried about your child's safety as well as your own and to just be like oh it'll go away in a few days drink this herbal drink from this crazy lady <laughs> yeah she knows what's up i mean Ugh. this might be a bit too personal but my mom has fibromyalgia mm -hmm. which is like a degenerative muscle disease for the longest time people didn't believe anybody with fibromyalgia 
and would just subscribe or prescribe like general take some aspirin take some valium vicodin take some vicodin or whatever yeah and it was just like you had growing pains or you had like a sore back or something like that and so it took her years to convince people that she had that and i think even today she's dealing with like she'll talk to a new doctor and he'll be like oh you're just drug seeking or whatever that's so sad yeah because like that's basically the same like rosemary knows that something's wrong yeah what is it her obg is just being like no it'll it'll pass it'll pass or whatever and she's being gaslit she's being told not to read any sort of baby books or pregnancy information just believe me because i'm the best i'm the i'm the ob for the stars I'm so glad that you brought up the reading thing because she's told multiple times in the film, not even just about the baby books, but multiple times, different topics. Don't you shouldn't be reading. Yeah. Don't read. It'll make you, you are hysterical. my you are my trophy wife and you must not try to better yourself or learn new things. No, don't we? I mean, a lot of them are like, hey, you're pregnant with Satan. Don't read those baby books. Hey, you think that I'm a witch. Don't read those witch books. Just watch my commercials for yamaha or something that was a cute moment when she like runs to the tv to watch yeah. it and that was back when she was excited to be in a nice fun light relationship yeah but still regardless of what the motivations are i think it's very poignant that they have multiple people telling her she shouldn't be reading because yeah. she is a housewife and she's also like she's pretty smart like when she goes and hangs out with the old couple for the first time she notices that their paintings are missing because they took down all their Satan paintings and put up. Yeah, she's very uh, aware of her surroundings. Yeah. And what's going on. When she d- stops taking the pills, she like shoves them between like a tiny crack in her bed. She does a bunch of stuff that are quintessential Scream Queen final girl activities. Yeah, she notices when um, Guy gives her the two desserts for their romantic, we're going to have a baby uh, yeah. evening. And then what's her face? Minnie shows up with the chocolate mousse. Mm-hmm immediately well first of all they have two different toppings on top so that he knows so which he one knows to give which her. one to give her yeah and then while she's eating it she's like there's a it's really good and then second bite oh there's a chalky undertaste yeah and of course her husband's like no of course something's wrong oh blah 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 you can't like it. anything i like her response and she's like no it's great then i'll just fucking eat it and then just scarf some of it and then dumps the rest out at that point like it really shows their relationship wasn't as good as we thought it was, even from the beginning, because that wasn't that long later on. No, that, that was, was like a month later, not even. Yeah. That she ha- her husband tells her that it's annoying that she doesn't like something, and she feels that the only way to fix the situation is to literally hide food and pretend that she ate it. Yeah. Imagine me being like, I don't like this. Really? I'm, I, I worked so hard on it. Sorry, babe, I don't like it. (laughs) I remember a very uh, questionable curry that you made (laughs) one night. Well, I didn't make you eat that. I just said that I would finish eating it and then suffered through it because I wanted to save face. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is I was was able to be like, this is terrible. In my defense, (laughs) I was very drunk when I made that and dumped half a container of cumin into it. He tried to make butter chicken from scratch. It was sand. Literally sand. I mean, there was chicken in it. It was wet. It was moist. Yeah. And there were chicken. In much the way that sand is moist when water brushes over it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I don't know. I like... That was also after he had already blinded the other actor. So he had been... It's it's been proven to him that the witchcraft is real. So at that point, he's like, I need to get you pregnant. Eat the fucking moose or else the the Satanists who clearly have magic will come after me. Yeah. So I would. Yeah, because they do. They're so happy in the beginning that it doesn't make sense for that heel turn without an external force. I guess. But what I'm saying is that the. what she did, like her in that situation of I'm just going to hide this. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Was what shows that maybe there's this has been going on regardless. Or she's got an eating disorder because she's so skinny. She is. Because the actress needed to be skinny for later parts of the movie. Yeah. Oh, man. But, but then, probably not, though. <laughs> then the 
whole rape scene happens. Then, like, let's just gloss over that. So then the next morning, she's like, oh, I feel weird. And then she, like, notices that she has scratches on her arms and stuff. And he's like, oh, I couldn't miss baby night. You were ovulating. Even though you were passed out, I still had sex with you. Literally unconscious. Yeah. And he's like, it was kind of cool. It was like necrophilia a little bit. And it's like, dude, ugh. Marital rape. Great. Ah, gross. That makes it better that you're her husband. Nope. Nobody. Nope. 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 I mean, at least when he tries to like touch her again, she like recoils. So it's not like she was okay. I mean, she wasn't okay with any yeah, of that. Yeah, for sure. She even said, um, it's not like that was the only second. Yeah. There was this morning. She was literally ov- ovulating the next day. So his, ex- yeah. his lie about him, you f- it was him being possessed by Satan then having sex with her. His whole lie covering that up was just as gross. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, what if she likes Satan? What if her and Satan got along? They didn't need to do this. Well, it seems by the end of the film, she wants to be Satan's mom. It's Satan's son's mom. Yeah, that's ba- true. Basically, Damien. What's his name? Adri- Adrienne or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Like Andy, because that's what she calls them. Andy or... Well, she goes through a few female names. She does Susan, Sarah, Jenny. I think then it was Jenny and or Andy was yeah. the final two, if it's a boy or a girl. Right now, we're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and stuff. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you through the generous support of local distillery Mad Lab Spirits, who donated the Viking Vodka and the Cranberry Orange Kombucha Cordials, which I didn't know what that was until just now. What we love about the Viking Vodka is that there's no bells and whistles. It's made through a simpler process and packaging is minimum, allowing for a more affordable product. Mad Lab's Cranberry Orange Kombucha Cordials was a lovely surprise for me. Very fruity and fun. I'd probably pair it with some soda water since I'm drinking a lot of La Croix now for an easy, refreshing summer drink. Check out their website, madlabdistilling.com, to find out more on their products and where to buy them. Drinking and Screaming is made possible through the generous support of our patrons. Shout out to new patrons David and John, clearly our number one fans. Thank you so much for your support. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash drinkandscream. We have some amazing rewards on there for helping us out on this journey, including bonus content, a bunch of behind-the-scenes footage, and even a cocktail recipe book that Shar is putting together. Follow us. Our Instagram and Facebook are at Drink and Scream. Twitter at Drink underscore Scream. And you can email us drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. For Discord, we're going to cozy on up with our partner, Super Hopped Up. So check out bit.ly slash Hopped Up Discord. Hey, we are Featured Creatures. I am Alan. I'm Alex. I'm Garrett. We do a show about monsters, cryptids, mythological figures, creatures from folklore, and sometimes real animals. We've done Dracula, Godzilla, Mongolian death worm. May or may not be real, but all fun, and you're probably going to be implicated in something. <laughs> no one no one will believe you anyway. No real crimes. And remember, all you need to do to be a cryptozoologist is say you're a cryptozoologist. You can find us on any podcatcher, iTunes, or Spotify. Boom, there you go. That's an ad. Yeah. I think for me, the saddest part of the movie was like how nice Rosemary is. Like, she's such, like, an upbeat girl who just wants to have a family. And even after all of the shit that's happened to her... She still tries to make everyone else happy. Yeah. And, like, when the pain finally subsides and she realizes the baby is still alive, she goes from being, like, the worried, scared woman to, like, oh, my God, my baby's alive. I'm so happy. Everything's going to work out. And she, like, starts glowing again. Like, the entire events, she did nothing to warn any of it. She was just in love, wanted a baby, was so happy to have the baby, was annoyed by the annoying old people that lived next door, just wanted to hang out with her friends. Of was, her own age? Yeah. Literally, once they meet this cult, the only people she ever hangs out with are old people, like yeah. at least 60 years old. Old witches. Blech. And her friends seem chill. They even like 
take care of her and stuff. I love that moment. That's my favorite moment of the film when they have the party where she's like, oh, it's only for our young friends. Yeah. You have to be under 60 to enter. And he's like, I'm glad I made the cut. It's like, you dick. Yeah, fuck you. But then that's the first time she's over halfway through her pregnancy. Her that's friends the didn't only even know. time that she gets to tell anyone else that will actually listen to her story about what's going on. Yeah. And they are immediately on her side. There was a few shots of this movie that reminded me of Midsummer. actually. Mm. The second one was when her friends are all like storming around her while she's crying. And it's like, this is good for you. Just let it out. It's fine. Which reminded me of the scene in Midsummer where all the women were screaming with Danny. And then the scene during the pregnancy or during the impregnating impregnating scene with Satan, it had all the naked people around her chanting, which reminded me of the scene with Chris getting or having to impregnate someone. Yeah, that's very true. Very, very true. So I wonder if Ari Aster took any inspiration from some of the shots from Rosemary's Baby. Could be. I know he did get inspiration from a lot of other films, too. And people are constantly fed drinks in um, Midsummer. Yeah. Just like she's constantly fed drinks in Rosemary's Baby. Very true. Maybe there are some crossovers. Maybe there's a little bit of references to Rosemary's Baby. (laughs) Maybe a lot of people didn't want the things that were happening to them during the events of the movie. (laughs) Who would have thunk? One thing that was like really weird in the movie is it's super hard to tell where they live because like you always assume it's New York because a lot of the shots are of New York and stuff like that. And like Radio City Music Hall was there, Mm -hmm. which as far as I know is in New York. But the way that Guy talks, he talks almost like he's in LA. And then at some point when Roman leaves for his death trip, that is all the ruse, he says like, oh, I'm going to go to Cairo or whatever, but I might not be back for a while. I might stay in this place or this place or New York. And I was like, Wait a Wait, minute. Wait, what? Aren't yeah. you in New York this whole time? Yeah. And then Guy later tells Rosemary that once they become super rich, they can lo- live um, in Beverly Hills. And I'm like, do, do you mean moving across the country or do you mean <laughs> moving like a foot away? I'm not too sure. Maybe I'm an idiot or maybe there there's like that one or two line problems where they weren't too sure if it was going to be LA or New York. It's interesting that that would go this far into production. I know that the movie in my research had been like scrutinized multiple times. The director, originally the movie cut was four hours long and the director couldn't cut anything from it. He couldn't decide what he wanted to keep and what he wanted to leave. Yeah. So um, he left it to the editors who eventually got it down to be just under two hours. Hmm. I wonder if it's because there's a lot more stories in the book. Because mm. you, we only recently learned that it was based on a book. Which I you, wish I knew before, because then I would have read it to be like, oh, this is different or whatever. You can read it after and then let me know. It's true. But I, actually, what's interesting, though, is that this was the first time this director had ever done a movie adaptation of a novel. And so he didn't realize that you were allowed to, like, bend the truth. So he tried specifically to be as close to the book as he could. Oh, that that doesn't make sense. Because I looked up the synopsis of the book, just the Wikipedia one. Mm -hmm. And based on a few milestones in the book, it seems like the story was more or less identical. Yeah. Even to the ending. I was hoping that maybe the book had, like, a more conclusive ending or something like that. But... It seemed to be one-to-one. And finally, my probably favorite thing about this movie is how timeless it seems. Watching it again, it doesn't really feel like you're watching a movie from the 60s. There's Other than like a few aesthetic things like the paintings and the, uh, the style of architecture and the TV that they use. Like the way the characters act and talk to each other and their motivations really seems timeless. Yeah. He wants to be an actor and he's failing. And so these like evil people convince him to turn on his wife. This wife just wants to be happy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think there's probably been a movie out in 2019 that covers that exact same thing. Yeah. I would bet. You're right. But like even the way that their relationship is like they're kind of... They're kind of sassy. They they joke around with each other. Even the first time they meet the old couple, they come home and it's like, Jesus Christ, do we have to see them again? Yeah, that was such a good moment. Which then is like, it's interesting because he, he in that moment, is shitting on them about like, I forget what, they call out a few specific things that were so funny and like mm-hmm. silly about that old couple and how annoying they were. But then do you think it's the fact that he hears that the opposing actor went blind that 
that's what changes him? Or do you think he speaks to them more? He does. So the, they meet them the one night. And then I'm imagining Roman's like, hey, dude, you should come back here and we'll talk oh, more. Oh, yeah. And, and then she he, stays home and yeah. he goes back. Right. I forgot about that. So it's definitely, they they were, they teased him. They tickled his balls a little bit. And then he comes back <laughs> and it's like, oh, so I just got to, all I got to do is impregnate Rosemary with the Satan, Satan jizz. Yeah. And it'll be fine. You won't hurt her though. So that's cool. I can become a famous actor. Yeah, but like I don't know, even even to the point of the old couple, like I can I could picture a movie like this being made with a couple that acts identical to that. Yeah. And it wouldn't be too far off. They are just they everybody knows an old couple like that. Yeah. And everything take most of the entire movie takes place in their apartment. And like you said, doctors haven't really changed in terms of treating women shitty. Yeah. So just a a very timeless movie, it seems, other than looking old and having some old appliances and stuff, mm-hmm. which is really cool. It makes it super easy to watch again. I love the costumes, the style of the time. Yeah. Is very interesting. And I, love I think the that's 60s. coming back. Yeah. She dressed like women I've seen on the street, just sundresses and nice shoes. Oh, my gosh. And when her husband's like, you paid for that haircut. I such, oh. <laughs> such a modern haircut now. And why would you say that? You don't need to say that. That doesn't help Satan grow. And also now all she's going to think about is, oh, my husband hates my hair. Like every yeah. if you said something about that. To me, I would be, every time you looked at me, I'd be like, oh, he's probably judging my hair or whatever. That was just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. Roman (sighs) didn't come over and whisper in his ear and be like, hey, you should tell your your wife that her hair looks dumb. That was just, that was just him. That was just for guy. Yep. Yeah. What a dick. You ready for some fun facts? I am ready for some fun facts. Great. Um, so for this segment, we always, every time we watch a horror movie, we love to get into bed after because we usually watch them in the evening. You have to. So it's dark and spooky. Spooky. We even make our smart lights change colors to match the themes of the movie. We're very nerdy. Mm-hmm. We don't just do the drinks to match the movie. We do our lights. We do everything we can to make the ambiance perfect. Hell yeah. But yeah, so then we get into bed and one of us will read the IMDb and other movie trivia facts that we can get on the film that we watched. So Kelly and I watched this movie before. We watched it, I want to say, two years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was near the beginning of our relationship. We've been together almost three years now. Or already three years? Whatever. Cut that part out. (laughs) (laughs) You're not knowing how long we've been together? I think we're about to be three years. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels longer. It feels like whatever. Oh, being with me makes makes the time just go by so slower. No, I mean, I'm it's supposed to be romantic. <laughs> I was like, I already know we're gonna be together forever, so it's just gonna be like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> Man, now I feel like the asshole boyfriend from fucking Midsummer. Midsummer. <laughs> it's been three and a half years. Uh, uh, four four years? years and two weeks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways, go on. Um, usually Kelly's the one that reads them and then I fall asleep halfway through, but I actually, I did some more digging because we had watched this two years ago. So, uh, I wanted to surprise you with some, some of the, these facts that maybe you do not know. Ooh, I'm so excited. Woo. So number one, Mia Farrow, who's the woman who plays Rosemary, uh, she auditioned for the role of Liesl in The Sound of Music in 1965. That's the main nun? That's the, uh, you are 16 going on 17. Oh. Oh, so the love interest of the guy? I don't know. Yeah, Liesl's the 16-year-old girl of Von Trapp. Okay, got it. But she did not get the role. Well, obviously. She was, Rosemary's (laughs) Baby is like her breakout role. So Mm -hmm. she did a few other roles before that in film and TV. But then after this, she became much more successful. Lullaby from Rosemary's Baby, which is the song that plays in the beginning, probably what played at the beginning of this episode, uh, ranked number 111 on the Billboard Hot 100 pop charts in August. Pop? I don't know. It's okay. Sure. But let's they go made for it that. All the way up there, which pop, is interesting. Pop was a lot different back then. <laughs> uh, she was in a relationship with Woody Allen from 1980 to 1992. And then. She became his mother-in-law in 1997 when he married her adoptive daughter, Sunyi Previn. Yeah, that part sucks. 
So you knew this story already, but you didn't know that it was her. Yeah, I knew that he Woody Allen had married his adopted stepdaughter after basically grooming her from a child because she he had been with the mother for so long. But yeah. I did not know that the mom was Mia Farrow. Yeah. So that sucks. That no good. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's interesting in the trailer, you see the scene where she's walking, she's like dazed and walking with all the cars and they all stop for her. Yeah. So that scene where she walks in front of the traffic was spontaneous and genuine. Uh, the director is reported to have told her that nobody will hit a pregnant woman. So the scene was successfully shot with Pharaoh walking into real traffic and Polanski following operating the handheld camera since he was the only one willing to do it. Wow. That is. So it's real cars. Yeah, that is like actor endangerment that they would not do nowadays. I guess it's cheaper than like renting out Times Square or even a New York street and getting a bunch of cars. And like nobody like waved at the camera or like anything weird. Or if they did, we didn't notice it. I mean, it. They're, if they're New Yorkers, they're just pissed that, they, that some, yeah. some broad is walking across the street. Very true. Also, like it was such a weird out of place scene because she wasn't, she was like dazed from hearing information. So she just walked across the street, but she seemed to be perfectly fine the scene before. Yeah. But then she throws off her charm too. So maybe... That goes with it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there was something cut before that scene that would have explained why she was in that state. Yeah, but sometimes when you hear like terrible news, you just get... It takes a while to kick in. Yeah, and then you just eventually like you shut off almost. That's You're fair. in autopilot, which seems like what she was doing. It's good. Good thing no one hit that pregnant woman. Hell yeah. Speaking of actor endangerment, Mia Farrow actually ate the raw liver for the scene. <laughs> and she was a vegetarian at the time. <laughs> Oh, but they God. were like, please do this for us. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't you have just stained tofu or something? Couldn't you have done anything other than make her eat the liver? Or not actually eat it. But yeah, That's that gross. happened. You could like, this was the age of practical effects. Could you not have made anything else that looked like liver? Yeah. Gelatin. Gelatin. Yeah. Just- just I mean, that's horse hoof, but still. Regardless, something less disgusting than the, than a literal liver. Yeah. Then um, the next one I have, which is something that I thought when the scene was happening, when Rosemary says to Terry, I thought you were Victoria Vetri, the actress. And she's like, oh, everyone says that, but I don't see the resemblance. That's actually that actress. Name. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird. So that's funny. I was thinking that too. I'm like, that would be way too meta for them to do back then. I liked it. This, I mean, she, Maybe they got a really famous actress for this one scene. <laughs> yeah, and then she gets murdered. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good uh, role. Uh, I mentioned this a bit before. The original cut ran over four hours. Roman Polanski couldn't decide what to cut, so he let editor Sam Osteen decide. Sam would later direct the sequel, Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Yes. I'm glad that you had that in there because I was going to talk about the fact that there was a sequel, but I figured you'd probably have it in the trivia. Yeah. Do you have information about the other sequel? No, I do not. So then the author, I think in 97, wrote a sequel to the book and dedicated it to Mia Farrow. And it has literally nothing to do with the movie sequel that was made called nice. Look What's Happening to Rosemary's Baby. But it's still about Rosemary? Yeah, it's, it's about what happens after the book. Cool. Don't tell me. I want to read it. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that when I was doing my research, I went, oh my God. And you were like, what? And I was like, can't tell you. Gotta wait till the fun fact section. So... According to an article in The Wrap, Mia Farrow left Frank Sinatra to make this film. Sinatra pressured Farrow to quit the film as their marriage was suffering and she was about to relent, but then Paramount executive executives showed her the dailies, which is when... Yeah. Okay, you know, well, for those of you who don't know, it's footage that has been just shot connected to the sound. She watched the basically the footage of the day and he said, Mia, you'll win the Oscar if you do this. And that was all she had to hear. So she did the performance. He served her divorce papers on set Oof. like a few days later. And then she didn't even get nominated because rumor has it, the Academy didn't want to upset Frank Sinatra. Oh, So they were like, we're not even going to nominate her for this fucking amazing performance. I mean, if it was modern days, she could just nominate herself as a lot of people did this year. <sighs> so sad. Yeah, that sucks. And then the last fun fact I have is the baby is due in June of 66, otherwise known as 666. (gasps) Why wouldn't it have been June 6th then? Because it's the year is 66. Oh, that's true. So it's June 28th, 
1966. 6-28-666. Don't ruin my fun fact. <laughs> I put it last because I thought it would be a big banger. Oh, so surprising there. I'll edit yeah, my surprise for sure. in there. And, You're not going to do it. And I definitely won't leave the part about me saying <laughs> I'll edit it. So, you ready for some final thoughts? I am ready for final thoughts. As we watch more of these old school horror movies, I'm always curious how people who watched it for the first time when it came out felt about them. Mm. Like we did Child's Play and now you watch Child's Play and it's not really that scary. But I wonder if people back then were genuinely terrified of it. And so I actually wonder if people watching Rosemary's Baby back in the day thought that Rosemary might just be crazy that if like the entirety of the movie is just her having like hysterical fits and um, like maybe she was schizophrenic or something like that was just imagining a lot of the things that happened because in the beginning of the movie, she has just this random dream about how she was raised Catholic and was a little bit weird about it. Yeah. And then the rape scene is actually filmed very similar to that scene where she's having like dreams about, uh, hanging out with the Kennedys and like being really fancy and stuff like that. And then walking down basically into hell. And it could theoretically be just in her mind. And so I could see people back then being like, Oh, Rosemary's crazy. This entire thing is just in her head until the end, I guess. But yeah. nowadays it's like, you see her and it's like, clearly these people are evil. Clearly she's in the right. Yeah. It all makes sense. I wish for this and a lot of other movies that somehow we had a time machine to go back in time and actually witness people watching this for the first time and get their thoughts about it. Which is interesting because we watched it together, me for the first time a few years ago. And that I thought there was a bit of a grayer line for probably the first half of the movie. Oh, the yeah. scene where she is with the cult in the basement was so done so, in such a weird way, interspersed with dreams and everything. And then her being like, this isn't a dream. This is really happening. But she says it in such a weird way. Mm. It felt very disorienting to me. And I was, and everything else was like, is she crazy or is she not? I kept going back and forth between the two. But then obviously it's not. Especially once you know the ending and then you watch it again the second time, you're like, oh, bitch, you're (laughs) fucked from the start. So you are the audience from back then that thought that maybe something was going on. Yeah. (laughs) I also figured because like, you know, people believed women even less back in the 60s that they're like, oh, this this lady's crazy. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is very interesting is you can see the acting style in the film transition as the movie goes on. When they first start off, they're like overly happy-go-lucky and everything is like, we talk like this in this movie because, and we all have these very indistinguishable accents that are we British or are we not? I It's so interesting. Uh, but then as it, the uh, story progresses it gets more sinister and everything becomes much more realistic and the stakes become higher and the the objectives become so much stronger with everyone so it's very very cool to see that whole progression hmm and then everyone's like hail satan hail satan hail satan you got to be a mother to this child yeah Brr, i'm black bart now <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Cool. I'm glad that we are doing older movies like this, interspersed with the very, very new movies. It's mm-hmm. such a dichotomy between the two. Juxtaposition. Yeah. Such a ju- juxtaposition between how modern movies are presented, or modern horror movies are presented, and old school horror movies. There's less douchey millennials. Yeah. Next week, we're watching Train to Busan. Are you excited about it? I am excited about it. What was that? That was so weird. And remember, always scream responsibly. Bye. Bye. Squeak, 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 squeak. That's pretty good. Thanks. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.